let, let's start with God's Word, with the Bible, which in so many ways is the most obvious place that we can hear God's voice, but in other ways it's kind of becoming punk rock. You know, th- there's not a whole lot of people that believe in something like uh, a reliable written ancient document that is both true and authoritative in my life today, and that is somehow alive, different than every other book in that it speaks to me. And to some, that is probably the most troubling or confusing place to hear the voice of God. You know, I think increasingly we live in a culture where people trust the inner whisper or this inner sense of intuition more than they actually trust something like an ancient Hebrew document that might be authoritative in their life. Recently, uh, after preaching, I had someone come up to me and say, Thank you, because you're beginning to take some a, a book that every time I've tried to read it, it terrifies me, and actually unfolding it and making me appreciate its beauty. And so that's more and more the culture that, as pastors, we're preaching in. So tell us, why start with God's Word, and what does it mean to hear His voice through His written Word? Wow. Well, um, first of all, you know, we live in a culture where increasingly the, 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 the belief is if you feel something, especially if you feel it really strongly, then that must be true. You can identify reality on the basis of what you feel reality to be, even down to gender and all sorts of other things that would previously have been seen as absolute. So we're in the middle of, you know, what the, you know epistemological uh, crisis of how do you know what you know? And if you've ever engaged a conspiracy theorist online or wherever, you quickly realize that the key conversation you're having isn't about QAnon or, you know, the Bilderberg group or the Flat Earth or, or whatever. The actual conversation you're having is whose truth is the true truth? And how do you know what is the true truth? It's epistemology. And for, for Christians, uh, we have an objective re- reality that is the foundation of truth for us, that is this compilation of 66 books written over uh, thousands of years that creates the bed and banks for understanding what God says. And, 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 you know, every other way in which God speaks, we bring into line, of course, with Scripture. And one of the things I, I, I do in, in, in this book is I, I use the Bible story, or one of my favorite in the whole Bible, the Emmaus Road story, as the kind of framework for the book because it is a masterclass for those of us seeking to learn how to hear the voice of God because most, not all, but most of the ways in which God speaks to us are modeled in this one exquisite uh, little story. And uh, one of the things we see in there is that Jesus appears resurrected from the dead, and instead of going, da-da, like, it's me, like, I'm alive, you know, fall over, weep, you know, he doesn't even tell him who he is, and he has this cheeky little conversation, like, so what are you talking about, <laughs> Jesus? Oh, interesting, how's that going for you? And, and do you remember, and then eventually he, he, it says, beginning with Moses and the prophets. You know, he, he, he explained to them how the whole of the Bible, you know, pointed to himself. And, I, and, and you know, it's seven miles to Emmaus. 
And so you walk at like, that's about two, depending how tired they were, that's between two and three hour walk. So let's just say the first half hour is just him chatting. It, we, we've got to say it's at least a two hour Bible study with Jesus. And they don't know it's Jesus. Uh, and, and the reason I find that so fascinating is, first of all, even post-resurrection, the Bible is still his framework. No amount of experience trumps this. But secondly, if I said in this, you know, and I, I you know, I, I love the whole thing I'm about to say, but, you know, the, 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 you know, all those who just love kind of the Bethel and Hillsong and all that stuff, which I'm into too. But if you sometimes say to those guys, turn up, you know, on, at church next Sunday, because I guarantee you're going to have the ultimate experience with God you've ever had. They'd be like, I'm there. Da -da! You know, and then you said, and it's going to be a two and a half hour Bible study. They'd be like, wah, 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 you know, <laughs> because we're so attuned to it's got to be an experience rather than a truth. And uh, so, so, so that's kind of the foundation of the book. And I thought that was like the obvious bit. But the feedback I'm already getting is people saying, thank you so much for calling us back to the Bible as the Word of God. And everything else fits within that framework. Yeah, and so you offer the Emmaus Road story as what you said, a master class. So what do you see in the Emmaus Road story in terms of tuning your ear to the voice of God that makes it stand out from all of the other episodes in Scripture? Well, the, the first thing is that, remember, it's all about Jesus, which might sound obvious, but, you know, he reinterprets the Scriptures in the light of himself. So this is, this is radical stuff, because so many of the things that we struggle with, say, in the Old Testament, but I think you know, throughout the Bible, uh, 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 we struggle with because we don't necessarily always see them in the light of Jesus. I think of some of the genocide passages that obviously are incredibly complicated in, that we have. But, but if you read them through Jesus, who said, love your enemies, and reveals the ultimate revelation of God's heart, it changes the way. Or you can pick like a random verse from Leviticus, or even a random verse one of Paul's epistles and make it say almost anything. But I want to say, no, interpret everything in the light of Jesus. So, you know, the, the technical term is the Christological hermeneutic, that we, we read the Bible through the reality of Jesus. And, and that isn't just a way of reading the Bible. It also tells me that the primary expression of God's word is not a book, but a person, Right? It's not a study of the Bible. It is a living relationship with Jesus. The people on the road to Emmaus had the Bible study, but it was with Jesus in relationship with Jesus. And so this isn't just some kind of Pharisaic, we've got to get back to the book. It's do you know Jesus? But of course, that can be a subjective thing. And that's why we want to bring that into the objectivity of the canon of Scripture. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. So there's that, and then and then in that you you know he he unpacks the scriptures, he points to himself, that he he comes to their house, uh, and by the way, 
just fascinating fact. Clearly, it was a couple, a married couple on the road to Emmaus for a number of reasons. Uh, but one of them is that they got to Emmaus and invited him, them, him into their shared house. And yet, the, the great artists, Caravaggio and all the others, depict it as two men. And that is simply patriarchal, chauvinistic presumption. It's always two guys. It's obviously a man and a wife who are commuting from the capital city two hours out to where they live, right? And, and so they invite him into their home. They still don't know it's Jesus. There's that gorgeous moment. <laughs> it's such a funny story. It's such a funny story. They get there. And, he, uh, and then it says Jesus, Jesus, you know, pretended he had somewhere else to go. Right, so get this, he's risen from the dead. You could say his schedule is wide open. Right? <laughs> he's got eternity. He's literally got nothing else. I mean, like, and he's like, yeah, a bit busy. And, and if, they, if they hadn't invited him in, they'd have missed the big one. It's like all my friends who are like, yeah, I think I might have had COVID back before it was a thing. Like, do you know the, you know, Oh, way before Wuhan, yeah, I think I had COVID, you know. And it's like that. There must have been people who, who met Jesus resurrected, but they didn't invite him in. And then later they went, oh, I think it might have been Jesus I was talking to. But anyway, these guys invited him in. Uh, and then there's that moment he breaks the bread, and I assume they, they saw the scars. By the way, fascinating that those didn't disappear post-resurrection. Mm -hmm. And then they go, Holy cow, it's Jesus only, that's the wrong religion. But anyway, it's, it's Jesus, like, wow! And, and this is funny as well. The second they realize it's Jesus, he's like, see you later, boo, he's out of there. And they say, didn't our hearts burn within us? Right, so there's something here of the inner voice, that, that it's not just the Bible, and it's not just the subjective encounter with Jesus in relationship, but there's this inward witness, the whisper of God, the, the sense that God's voice burns within us. So, uh, you know, that's another theme of the book. Yeah, so Pete, even as you were talking right there, you're telling a story from uh, Luke's gospel that I'm sure many who are sitting in this room have read before, maybe more than once, and yet you're also unraveling insights uh, that you have taken note of in that reading that it's quite possible that many haven't taken note of. It, it was obviously a married couple. Surely they saw the scars, you know, things like that. Uh, so this is a workshop. Uh, so is there a practice for how do I not just read, you know, a 12-verse story and say, well, I guess the point of this is da-da-da-da, but where I can enter into the story and, and hear the, where the Word of God can become living and active in me, where it can become His whisper to me, um, rather than just checking that box, because I guess this is what I'm supposed to do to remain faithful to Jesus. Can you give us a practice or a way to dig into Scripture like you've just accidentally modeled for us here? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I graduated with a degree in theology. I guess I came out knowing a lot about the Bible, but what I found was that the Bible had become this kind of dry study book, and I'd lost my ability to hear God 
in it. And I had to relearn how, to, how the Bible could be a conversation starter and not just a textbook. And the, the simple truth is that the tool that has helped me, I mean, it's gen, no exaggeration, it's revolutionized my prayer life, my relationship with God, is the Lectio Divina, uh, which is, you know, it's an ancient, ancient tool. It was popularized by the Ignatians, but way before them. And, and Lectio Divina, as many of you will know, just simply means the holy reading, okay? And the notion behind it is learning to read the the Bible, and actually ultimately other sacred texts, and even life itself, but we'll start with the easy one, with the Bible. Not for information and education, but for revelation and conversation, and as an act of meditation. And Christians get terribly worried about meditation, which is weird because it's clearly taught in the Bible that we're supposed to meditate upon the Scriptures, not just study it. And they always think it's some weird Eastern thing, but it is deeply biblical to fill our minds with the truth of Scripture. And, and um, so, so it's a tool for um, reading the Scripture slowly and with imagination and kind of listening to God between the lines. And I suppose you're right. I kind of just did that a little bit. But it's that way the Spirit can bring the text to life and using your five senses and so on. And one of the things, you know, um, two years ago, we decided to start a little devotional app in 24-7 prayer. Uh, and this was the premise. I had done a number of these great resources that help you to read the Bible in a year, like over a number of years. And, my, and I love that. But my honest um, confession is there were many days where I just wanted to get through the three to five chapters. And if you'd asked me at the end, I couldn't even have remembered some of the chapters. I was just like, I've got to get through this. And something in me started to think, I don't want to read that many chapters. I, what, what would it be like just to spend the same amount of time but just focus on one verse or two verses or three verses and take a deep dive? And so that, of course, is Lectio. So we launched this devotional app called Lectio 365, and it's like the least rock and roll thing that ever happened. It's like a Latin word, like, you know, for, for Bible study, but really praying the Bible rather than just reading the Bible. And we, we have a scripture that we would, just a few verses that we'd cycle through twice. And it's just like 10 minutes a day. There's another one for the nighttime. And that's gone crazy. We have 150,000 daily users now. And it's just growing all the time. And, and you can get it for free. We just give it away. So that's Lectio 365. So this, that, but this is the first thing that we put in writing about how to do that. Like, because people kind of getting into going, yeah, I really like it. it our night prayers, the number of people who've told me, I love night prayers, but I've never made it to the end because I'm always asleep. Like, what even? Like, you could announce you're the Dalai Lama at the end. We wouldn't know. Like, and, and, and so, you know, it's, it's amazing the impact. But this is us just trying to teach why we do it this way, how it's rooted in an ancient tradition, and just a little bit more on how you can get your Bible open and pray it and not just study it. Yeah, and just to bridge the gap a little bit, if, if I could, um, between this moment and, and actually checking out that app or something, to, you know, a, a Lectio Divina kind of reading, it gets traced all the way back to the desert mothers and fathers, where there was originally something called Lectio Continua, where they would read a small amount of scripture, and there was such a belief 
that the living word, Jesus, partnered with the written word, that they would sit in a room while the same passage was read over them again and again and again in complete silence, waiting for that moment when, when what I would say is the Spirit speaks or, or what is often said as other traditions is something sticks out to you, you know, or, and, and then they would immediately get up and go into a place of, sol- of solitude and prayer. And so if you're thinking, well, how do I begin to make space for the living word in the midst of the written word? It, it, I would just say simply this, read less, which you don't hear pastors advise you too often, but read less and read more than once what you're reading, and then always allow the scripture to be a springboard into prayer. Even if the prayer is, God, I really don't like this part. I wish you hadn't put this in the story because I can't find you in it. Even if that's the prayer, to always allow the scripture to be a conversation starter between you and God. So good, And then, so good. And would you do that daily? How, like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, for me, I I practice Lectio daily, and each morning I I read a psalm that I use just as as kind of fodder for prayer to unite my voice to the ancients uh, and to be guided into prayer the way that those in in our tradition have been throughout history. And then I read a small passage of scripture, and I chew on it, right? So I I read it uh, four times, and I just ask myself a few questions. You know, I, I ask myself, I read it first just to read it and understand what the passage is. Then I read asking, Holy Spirit, speak to me. And I wait for that moment where the Spirit speaks through it. And then I ask, Holy Spirit, invite me. So if, if you're speaking to me through it, what are you inviting me to do or to become, to pray, to, you know, what, what you, and then I basically say, Holy Spirit, complete in me. As I read it again, it's a way for me to give it back to God and say, you know, some of, some of his transformation in us we can gain language for and become aware of, and that's great. And some of his transformation in us is deeper than even my awareness or my words. And so the final reading is almost giving it back to God and saying, you've been working in me before I became aware of this moment, so keep working this out in me even beyond my own attention or application or whatever. So, uh, so good that you know that you know this better than me, Tyler. But the, the the Latin steps are lectio, oratio, contemplatio, and so on. But don't worry about that. We 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 often simplify it down to this acronym we use a lot in twenty four seven pray pray right, and it's just simply this: begin just with pausing, just be still before the scriptures. Come to the scriptures. Those two verses, three verses, with sense of awe, mm-hmm. like. I am about to read the living word of God and he is about to speak to me. So something is about to happen that isn't just an ordinary part of my day. It's the key moment in my day. God's about it. So come, you know how Jesus says, have you got ears to hear? It's like, I'm going to come to the Bible with faith. And then R is just, you know, read and reflect. So as Titus says, just, you know, work out what's it say. A is ask, how do I turn what I'm reflecting on here into an ask, into some form of conversation with God? 
And then why is, is yield. What is it, it, whatever God is saying to you in it, yield to that. It might be yielding to worship. It might be yielding to something that's really challenged you. And you say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort that out. But there's that sense of moving beyond the, the, the study of the words to actually the words disappearing and just leading us into that place of worship or surrender before God. And to me, that's what the Bible is for. Not, not just to define doctrine, that's important, but to lead us and grow us in our relationship with the living word who is Jesus uh, and uh, uh, through his written word in the Bible. Yeah, and, and just to move to the next way that we can hear his voice. So I, I think in the book you use logos and rhema, yes? So God speaks through the logos, the written word. Tell us about rhema and what that means, and kind of take us into that next concept. Right, so there's, there's really two words for the Word of God in, in, the, in the Greek of the New Testament, and it's confusing because in the English we just tend to read it as word. But there's, there's logos, which is, is both the written Word of God, but also Jesus Christ, the Word of God. That's John chapter 1, you know, he is the Word. But the, but the other uh, Greek term, for, for, for word that we have in the New Testament is rhema. And that is uh, the now prophetic word of God. And, and often we read word of God and assume it's referring to the Bible. So when Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father, that is actually by every rhema. So he's not just saying, if you've memorized enough Bible verses, you'll, you'll grow spiritually. He's saying, you need to know what God is saying to you now. You need to, to align yourself with the now word of God, and that will be how you, you grow spiritually. And so I talk in the, in the book about the prophetic and, uh, you know, how, how, words of knowledge, and how, how do you know when it's God speaking? How do you handle the prophetic? Because it's often uh, not, not, not always well uh, handled. And we got Chris Westoff somewhere in, in, in the crowd here today. She, she's amazing on this. She's got this online resource called Reframing the Prophetic. She's got a written resource coming out soon. She's someone that we trust enormously around the singer of the prophetic. I give her a little plug in the book there if you, if you want the URL. But... but um, you know, we, we, I just focus a little bit on the prophetic and dreams. I mean, there are stories in this book that will fry your noodles. They're just so amazing of God speaking. And they're not urban myths. They're like firsthand, you know, like proper stories. But there's also really practical tools. Like I, there's this thing, ABC. People always say, how do you know if it's God or it's me? And I just say, use the ABC. Is it well, yeah, and, and by that you mean, yeah. how do I hear God's voice yep. versus my own thoughts, yeah. right? How do I distinguish between the two? That's the ultimate question with the prophetic, right? That's so exactly. how? Yeah. yeah, so the A... Well, Tyler, the ABC. Uh, I just wanted to make sure people knew that you were addressing the question the, of all questions. Yeah, the question. the prophetic. And you might want to say to I'm me I'm just doing point, my part here, man. Yeah, no, Back you're, off. You're doing, you're doing great. And by the way, a round of applause for Tyler. It's like, it's like Letterman. It's great. Maybe you might want to say to me at this point, are there, for example, three letters that would help me in that process? And I could say, yeah, there's the ABC. Tyler. You Americans, I mean, gee. Just because you rule the world, I mean. Um, ABC. 
Why do the aliens always land in America? That's what I want to know. It's anyway. a great question. I've never That's thought great, about that. It's a great that. question. Yeah. It's a great question. Uh, ABC, you ask yourself, is it affirming? Is it biblical? Is it Christ-like? So let me walk you through that. Is it affirming? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, uh, the Apostle Paul says that the, the prophecy is for edifying, encouraging, strengthening, comforting, building up the body of Christ. And so it's a good thing to ask yourself, is this actually going to encourage anybody? Now, there are things that God tells you to say that are really challenging and sometimes not very encouraging, okay? And you'll see examples of that in the Bible. All I'm saying is, if you're starting out, why don't you start on the, give yourself a break, like start on the encouraging ones. And once you're nailing that, you can do the like, you're all doomed stuff. So, so is it affirming, okay? The next thing is, is it biblical? I do not mean, can I find a random verse in Deuteronomy to back this up, okay? I mean, is it in line with the overarching themes of Scripture? And see, is it, this is the most important one, is it Christ-like? Is this the kind of thing Jesus would say and do, okay? And, and, and if, it's, if it is, if, if, if the thing you're sensing fits that, it's affirming, it's biblical, it's Christ-like, you've really got nothing to lose. Even if it's not God, it'll be God. Do you know, like, like oh, I'm really wrestling with whether to go and tell this person that God really loves them. Like, is it God or is it just me? Uh. <laughs> It'll encourage them. Yes, it's biblical. And yes, it's the sort of thing Jesus would do. So even if Jesus is there in heaven going, well, I never told you to do that, the Holy Spirit would be like, gee, give them a break. You're behaving like an American here. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. You felt you lost the room a little bit there. You went a little too far. I felt it. No, I felt this room was with me. I'm more worried about Texas right now. Oh, yeah. I forgot Texas Honestly, was with us. Yeah. So, 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 so if, even if it's not God, it, it'll, it'll be God. Is this going all right? I think, I feel like it's going We're great. We're getting away with it. Yeah. It's amazing. Online, they can't see that literally everyone's walked out. You know, here's the terrifying thing about the prophetic is that the only way to grow in the prophetic is risk and obedience. Like the only way is to go for it. And and what happens when you do that is you realize that when you take a risk to to put yourself out there out of love for someone else, the worst thing that happens is you miss the bullseye. And it's not that big of a deal. And sometimes you get to see God take something as simple as a whisper in your ear to absolutely become defining and a foundation that someone else can continue to build their life on. So good. And so we have to become attuned to the whisper of God that we give away in the prophetic because most Christians come to the word, the, the written word, again and again and again and again throughout their lives and have dry moments, incredible breakthroughs, and a whole lot of ordinary in between. And yet we're not willing to be patient in the same way with the prophetic, where it almost needs to be like a, yeah. a home run every time. Yeah. Or we lose stamina to practice hearing the voice of God in that way. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's so helpful. I, I think just often ask yourself the question, what's the worst that could happen if I get this wrong? And if the answer is a lot, 
don't do it. Just go and talk to someone else about it. <laughs> you, you, like, if you're like, I really sense I've got to tell my next door neighbor to move to another country. Like, why don't you, rather than doing that, go and have coffee with them and say, so are you happy living here? Like, <laughs> Have you ever been anywhere else? Have you ever had a heart for any other kind? You know, just, I'm kidding. But do you know what? Here's the thing. It's the number one spiritual gift that God wants to give most charismatics is common sense, right? So, so but, but most of the time when you ask yourself the question, what's the worst that could happen if I get this wrong? The answer is nothing, nothing much. So you should go for it. I tell a, a story in the book that, uh, exactly about this. This uh, we, we we do this festival. You're coming to this make wildfires, and uh, the very first one, the end of the very first session, everyone's coming forward to receive prayer. And this real tall guy called Jono came to the front, and I noticed he was sobbing. He was weeping. So I went up to him afterwards, said, "What was going on?" He said, "Pete, I haven't been to any Christian stuff in years. I've been to any like church conference, nothing." This is the first thing I'm back to. And the reason I haven't been is I had a really bad bicycle accident. I got like a head injury. And I can't even look at a computer screen. And it's, I've been in a really dark place. And he says, this is a big deal for me. I came back and this, but I thought, you know what? I just need to go and get some prayer. So he came up the front at the end. He said, someone I've never met before just came up to me. This is the first time he's received prayer in an environment like this in years, okay? This complete stranger comes up to me and says, I don't know if this means anything to you, but I got a picture of a man on a bicycle. And I, I don't understand it, but everything suddenly went just dark. Does that mean anything to you? First, you know, words in prayer and all this. So, of course, John is just weeping. So I, I, I'm like, okay, this is amazing. So start of the next session, I get Jono up to tell this story. And I thought, I reckon this like assassin prophet must be in the crowd here somewhere. So I'm like, who was it? Like own up. And this guy, Mike, comes forward. Lovely guy. And he goes, it was me. I said, okay, Mike, how on earth did you know the bicycle thing. He said, I don't know, it's weird. I was walking towards this tall guy. It's a bit weird to suddenly have a thought about a bicycle and everything going dark. So I thought it might be God, it might not. I'll give it a go. He said, so, I, and he, he wasn't like, thus saith the Lord. He's like, does this mean anything to you? And then the guy starts weeping. It's a sign. And so I said, I said to Mike, how sure were you it's God? He said, 10%. So I turned to Jono, I said, how glad are you that he took that risk? He said, 100%. And I just think we need to take more 10% risks for the sake of the 100% every now and then. So let's talk for just a second about dreams, because I'm intrigued. Because it seems like most of the time, uh, there's people that think nothing of their dreams. It's just like what they ate right before bed, right? Or it's everything in my dreams means everything. And so can you, can you give us some biblical middle ground of how do we think about the things that we dream at night? Because it, it doesn't make any sense that God would choose to just not speak to us ever in what is basically a third of our lives, right? That, that we're in a dream state of some sort. So how do we, how do we hear his voice? And how yeah. do we think about dreams? And anything you can do whilst you're lying down has got to be good, right? So 
you know, you know, uh, uh, clearly, n- uh, not not everything we dream is from God. Some of it is is just the subconscious. You know, your brain is just filing stuff away. Uh, but 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 equally, if we're to be Bible-believing Christians, dreams are actually one of the main ways God speaks. And so, uh, the first thing I'd say is. You know, we're all wired a little differently. And so some of us, you know, like what, one of the things I talk about in the book is, is there's this cool little school in a, a primary school, Catholic primary school in Australia. Do you call them primary schools here? What would you call them for little kids? Elementary. Elementary school, yeah. sorry. And, and uh, it, 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 this school has a, a, little, a little motto that's on the website and the kids all wear on these little, little T-shirts. It says, uh, we hear we see, we do, okay? We, so they're saying this is a broad education, you learn through hearing, seeing, doing, great. Well, because they're Catholic and maybe they just wanted to like be a bit more impressive, they decided, this is a true story, I've checked this out, they wanted to translate their slogan into Latin and so all, all these kids had written on them, audio, video, disco. That's the Latin, <laughs> audio, audio, video, disco, isn't that cool? Yeah. <laughs> And the thing is, some of us are audio, some of us are video, some of us are disco. You know, some of us learn, this is education true through hearing more. Some of us learn more through seeing, and many of us learn kinesthetically through doing. Now, it's the same when it comes to hearing God. Some of us naturally hear, literally hear God more. Some of us, it's much more through seeing, and some of us, it's much more experiential and through activity. And um, and transcendent to dreams now. Some of us are naturally dreamers more than others. Some of us are naturally more mystical, and other others of us are more just logical. And so we hear God through study and that kind of stuff. So learn to hear God the way He made you. But I would encourage you to ask for dreams. And I do give a few clues in the book about how to interpret dreams without going crazy about all the symbolism. And, um, and, and I think the ABC still applies. You know, uh, I literally last, this morning, I got a message from a friend of mine, he's quite a well-known Christian leader in Canada, saying, I had a dream last night, I believe is from God for you. And I think it was. So th- this, this is live, this is real for me. And then let's talk about the elusive, still, small voice within, about tuning ourselves into God's voice. And if you could just speak as practically as possible about how do we become in tune with God's voice to me when it isn't the written word and it isn't coming through a prophetic word, but it's just that that whisper in my soul. Yeah, I mean, obviously the reference to the whisper is that lovely story of Elijah, you know, and, and, and God's, he expects God to be in, in, the, in the fire and the earthquake, and then God comes to him and reveals his glory in this still, small voice. It's so beautiful, isn't it? And, 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 and in, in the book, I, I trace the fact that this is, wasn't a one-off, but God mostly speaks to us in whispers. And how, your question is, is how do we tune into that? And the first thing I want to say, I've, I'm really learning this, and it's become very life-giving for me, is, is I, I every day just sit in stillness at the start of the day before I even rush into the Bible or anything else, and I just remember that I'm loved. Sometimes I find it helpful just to breathe 
like rhythmically and deeply. People get very worried about that. They're like, oh, it's this dodgy new age thing. Listen, if you need a Bible verse for breathing well, you're in real trouble. Like, uh, the thing is, I can give you Bible verses for it, but you just shouldn't need them, so I'm not going to. So just, just, just breathe well. It will help you. And, and, and sometimes it's helpful to repeat a phrase. But the, 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 like, 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 you know, for the Franciscans, it's my God and my all. Or it could be to pray in tongues if that's a gift that you practice. But just, just be still and remember that you're loved. And it's like priming your system, not just to hear the whisper of God in that moment, but actually through the day to, like, Brother Lawrence, you know, practice the presence of God. And, and that activity may sound simple but I believe it realigns your neural pathways and uh, so th- I, I, you know I just did a 330 mile pilgrimage walk from from the island of Iona in Scotland to the holy island of Lindisfarne on my own solitary and I cannot tell you how profoundly it was uh, I was changed by the solitude not just for a day but day after day after day and, you know, I, I'm just a classic sort of guy with all the hang-ups that, that, that men have. It took me about three days alone in the rain to realize there's no one to impress, nowhere to hide, and God's not particularly impressed. But he's, you know, it's like the cows don't care <laughs> what you look like. The sheep don't mind how many miles you have or haven't walked. And so it was about day three, I go, oh... You know, after 25 years in ministry, always, in a way, we're always subconsciously pretending and performing. And it took took about three days to go, oh, hello, God. It's actually just you and me. What happens now? Do Do you understand? And by the way, there will, for all of us, be that split second before the flat line when your resume will mean nothing how much money you have or haven't got in the bank will mean nothing and it'll be you and God so you better have something to say and so it's that moment that stillness that aloneness with God that primes us and from there on my walk I'm not saying by the way you have to walk 330 miles to hear the still small voice of God but I'm just telling you there's something about this posture I went into deep therapy alone with God like God literally revealed things to me about myself and my motivation I had never understood in all my 53 years. It was like, oh. And I remembered how the scriptures called Jesus a wonderful counselor. And I wonder how much even of the modern therapy industry is because we're never alone with God for long enough just to let him do his thing. My wife is a professional counselor. She said it normally takes months to bring one of my clients to the place of self-awareness that you seem to be reaching by just standing in the rain with Jesus. And, and there is something about, you know, one journalist said, atheism is the religion of the busy. Just be still, Psalm 46, verse 10, and know that I am God. And, and so learn a little stillness. Learn that you're loved. Remind yourself that every day, and it will prime you to be more attentive to the whisper of God. Listen, he is speaking to you more than you realize. The problem is not theology, but psychology. The theology is clear. God speaks. There's no debate on that. Genesis 1, John 1, everything in between. 
It's not theology, it's psychology. We have to learn how to hear, and each of us hears a little differently. So I hope the book can help with that. Yeah, you know, the, the voice, uh, like in Scripture, we see that God is always speaking. It's a matter of if we're listening, as you're saying. And, and the, the mystics have given us a, a couple of images. You know, one is that of the, the voice of God being described as as light as the feather touching the skin, which means that it's, it's soft enough that you can ignore it if you'd like, but it's also clear enough that you can attune to it, pay attention to it if you want to. But the other thing about that is that if you are in a frenzy of activity, you're likely not to notice something as light as a feather touching your skin. But if you are completely still, then you would. Or, or others have described the, the voice of God as like a rock dropping into water, which of course you see much less in a river with a fast flowing current than you do in a completely still pond, right? And then you see every ripple flowing out. And so it really is as simple as stillness and attuning ourselves to God.